Miss Heidi for your ministry to us today in music. <clears throat> if you look at your Bibles there in 1 Kings chapter 18, and we're going to kind of do things a little in reverse today, <clears throat> I think most of us are familiar with this, this story, this contest that takes place between the prophets of Baal and Elijah, the prophet of the Lord. And again, if you've been in Sunday school, you've probably read, uh, you've probably heard about this story, you've probably been taught this story. If you're a Sunday school teacher, you've probably taught this story. But you remember what happened, really, uh, that, that Elijah, the, he, said, he said, you go first. By the way, I love that. He said, you pick the bullock that you want, so you can't blame me for picking the one that would have worked. Amen. He said, you go ahead, pick the one you want, you go first. And they went from morning until from the morning sacrifice, that was 9 a.m., to the evening sacrifice, that was 3 p.m. And they, they yelled and they screamed and they, they did everything. They cut themselves and nothing happened. And I love what Elijah said. He said, all you people that were, he said, come here, come over here. And he repaired the altar. By the way, that's such a great message right there. You know, a lot of nothing happens in our life because we won't repair the altar in our life. That's the place where you meet with God. Amen. Not just here at the church, but I'm talking about at home. The family altar and all God's people said. The, the personal altar that you have. And so he repairs the altar and then, and, and by the way, God loves it when we prove him. The, the, great, the great tithing verses in Malachi 3.10 where uh, God's people weren't tithing and God, God called them thieves. I didn't call them thieves. God called them thieves. Amen. And uh, he said, if you just give, just, just give what you're supposed to. And you know what he said, Miss Kim? He said, prove me. If I will not open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing. So Elijah sets out to prove that uh, not only can God answer by fire, but he's really, really God. And that is simply, he says, you know, go ahead and let it down. And then he, they, they take the barrel of water, which, by the way, had to be difficult to find in the middle of a famine. Remember, it hadn't rained for a while here. And then he, he says, do it again. And then he says, do it again. You know what he's in essence saying? I don't want anybody but God to get the credit on this. No, I say, well, he, he, had, he had dry wood. That's why. I mean, it just it was a spark. And, and he said, no. And I heard a preacher years ago say, God can make a fire with dry wood or wet wood. And we know exactly what happened. God answered by fire. Elijah prayed. And God answered by fire. But we're going to go back. And that, that's kind of, I wanted to give you the conclusion of the story. And by the way, the conclusion in verse 39 is kind of the key to, the, to the, the point of the message. If you look at verse 39, it said, And when the people saw it, they fell on their face and they said, What, church? The Lord, He is the God. The Lord, He is the God. How many of you here... And you're not ashamed to admit it, are Detroit Tigers fans. Come on now. Yeah. All right, now, now let's, let's get a little bit more divisive here. How many of you like the Lions? Oh, now, now we're, getting, we're getting serious. All right, how about University of Michigan? Oh, boy, now it's going to split right down the middle here. Sparty. How many Sparties out there? Okay. Any Ohio States? 
Get out. No, I'm just kidding, eh? <laughs> if Brother Becker was here, we could have fun with that one, eh, bud? Uh, listen, uh, Brother, Brother uh, Howell this morning, he said, I got something for you. And I showed it to Mrs. Lawley because he gave me a Nebraska Cornhuskers travel mug. And uh, I've, I've liked Nebraska since I was a kid. I grew up, and this is so strange, because I grew up in Westfield, Massachusetts, and uh, I had a dear friend, buddy of mine, we played ball together. Every sport we played, we played basketball with each other, against each other, played baseball with each other, against each other, and all through the teen years we played sports. And him, his name is Joe, Joe Moran. And Joe Moran is the most die-hard Boston sports fan, as we would say out there, ever, ever, amen? They don't pronounce their eyes out there. And, and Joe, when I was a kid, Joe always loved the Red Sox. He always loved the Celtics, who was pretty good back then. Always loved the Bruins and always loved the Patriots, who weren't very good back then. And I remember, you know, as a, as a young person, Rob, I kind of fluctuated a little bit. You know, I, I liked baseball, so, you know, boy, the A's teams were great back then. I kind of like them, you know. But Joe, I'm telling you, he had this nasty Red Sox hat. I mean, it was just awful, all sweaty and dirty. And, and he, and then when it was basketball season, it was a nasty Celtics hat. Like, they were like the first hats ever produced that he owned them. And, and he, he just, you know, I, I think about him, and no matter how poorly those teams did, Tigers fans, there was no doubting whose side that Joe was on. He, that was his team. You know, there's a story I read during the Civil War. The Confederate Army, under the command of General Robert E. Lee, was de in desperate need of soldiers. And a recruiting officer went to a certain community in the South, and he asked for all who would fight for the Confederate Army to get their rifle and line up in the street. As the men came and they stood at attention with their rifles, the officer walked by and he inspected each volunteer. He came to the end and he observed a woman who was holding a broomstick. And it kind of struck him. And he asked her why she was in line. And she replied, I just want everybody to know what side I'm on. I like that. If you go back in 1 Kings with me, look back at chapter 16. And we see, uh, it, it kind of brings us to where we need to get to in this story. It, we, notice with me the impurity of Omri. Verse 24 of chapter 16, just look there with me. It said, but Omri wrought evil in the eyes of the Lord and did worse than all that were before him. That's pretty bad. It says, for he walked in the way of Jeroboam. We're talking about that, Brother Howell, the son of Nebat. It always says this about Jeroboam. In his sin wherewith he made Israel to sin. By the way, sometimes sins can span generations, can't they? Jeroboam, whatever Jeroboam sinned, and you, you look at it, it's really in rebellion. But he made Israel to sin to provoke the Lord of Israel to anger with their vanities. 
Now the rest of the acts of Omri, which he did, and the, the might he showed, are they not written in the book of the Chronicles of the kings of Israel? So Omri slept with his father and was buried in Samaria, and Ahab his son reigned in his stead. So we see the impurity of Omri. By the way, it was false worship. That's what Jeroboam did where he made Israel to sin. We'll talk about it actually in tonight's message where we talk about Jerusalem. Uh, 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 Jeroboam said, we don't need to worship in Jerusalem. We can worship in Bethel. We can worship in Dan. We, We don't need to go there. God said, no, I want you to come to Jerusalem. So the impurity of Omri. But then, of course, we see the infamy of Ahab. Verse 29. In the 30th and 8th year of Asa, king of Judah, began Ahab, the son of Omri, to reign in Israel. And Ahab, the son of Omri, reigned over Israel and Samaria 20 and 2 years, like verse 30. And Ahab, the son of Omri, did evil in the sight of the Lord above all that were before him. So forgive me, his, his father was infamous. Ahab was even worse. And it says down there in verse 33, Ahab made a grove. That was a place of false worship. And how about this? What a statement to have on your tombstone. And Ahab did more to provoke the Lord God of Israel to anger than all the kings of Israel that were before him. That's pretty bad. That's pretty bad right there. So we have the impurity of Omri. We have the infamy of Ahab. If you look at verse 31 and 32... It says there, And it came to pass, if it had been a light thing for him to walk in the sins of Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, he took to wife Jezebel, the daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Zidonians, and went and served Baal and worshipped him. And he reared up an altar for Baal in the house of Baal, which he had in Samaria. So we see there the iniquity of Jezebel. If you go to chapter 18, verse 4, it says, For so, for it was so, when Jezebel cut off the prophets of the Lord, that Obadiah took a hundred prophets and hid them by fifty in a cave and fed them with bread and water. Uh, listen, Forgive me, this is an old-fashioned word from a pulpit, but Jezebel was a battle axe. She was just a cranky battle axe. She hated God. She hated God's people. She hated God's man. She loved false worship to encourage it and did everything she could to encourage it. The iniquity of Jezebel. The infamy of Ahab. The impurity of Omar. Look, go to chapter 17, verse 1. I love this. Here we have the injunction of Elijah. It says, And Elijah the Tishbite, who was of the inhabitants of Gilead, said unto Ahab, As the Lord God of Israel liveth, before whom I stand, there shall not be dew nor rain, but according to my word. Go over to chapter 18, verse 2. It says, And Elijah went to show himself unto Ahab, and there was a sore famine in the land. What was the injunction? Uh, it was the fact there that, that uh, uh, Elijah came, and he said, Look, there is not going to be rain or dew till I say. Didn't say why, just said, Till I say, there's not going to be rain or dew. So then we see the influence upon Israel in chapter 18, verse 2. This what happened, uh, the, the iniquity of, of Jezebel and the infamy of Ahab, and the, the impurity of Omri, it influenced Israel. And it caused, it was the reason behind this sore famine in the land. And then 
we see, if you look a little further down, we see the inquiry of Ahab in verses, look at verse 10 of chapter 18, please. It says, As the Lord God liveth, there is no nation or kingdom whither my Lord hath not sent to seek thee. What's he doing here? He's looking for Elijah. Remember God hid him by that book? Cheerith, and then sent him to the widow's house in chapter 17. And Ahab is looking everywhere he can. Why? To slit his throat. So there's the inquiry of Ahab. And then in verse 17 of chapter 18, where we begin our reading, we see the indictment of Ahab. The indictment of Ahab. Remember, Elijah had come to him and said, it's not going to rain until I say there's not going to be dew. And obviously the famine was sore here. In verse 17 it says, And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah, that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? You know, we live in that day, don't we? The gall of the unrighteous. The gall of the immoral that looks at people, you and I, who try to impact our community with the gospel, try to share Christ with people, try to help people change their lives out of the depths of sin, and they look at us and say, you're the troublemakers. <laughs> Why? Because we oppose drag shows? For children? Why? Because we think sin is still sin? Truly, we live in the day that Isaiah prophesied about when they'll call good evil and evil good. So the indictment of Ahab to Elijah. By the way, I love the integrity of Elijah. I, I picture Elijah as, forgive me, that prophet with the bowed back. So what's that mean? The prophet who stuck his chest out and bowed his back like this. And he says there, if you look at verse number 18, he says, and he answered, I've not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house, in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord and has followed Balaam. He said, I'm not the problem. It's you and your immoral wife leading the people into false worship. You're the problem, king. Forgive me, I love that about Elijah. I just love that. Integrity of Elijah. And then we see his imploring, the imploring of Elijah in verses 19 through 24. We see the challenge in verses 19 and 20 there, if you look with me. It says, and he, he said, uh, chapter 18, verse 19, it says, Now therefore send and gather to me all Israel unto Mount Carmel, and the prophets of Baal 450, and the prophets of the grove 400, which eat at Jezebel's table. So Ahab sent all the children of Israel and gathered, by the way, 850 false prophets all amongst God's people. Doesn't that make you sick? They went through Israel to find all, that's no problem. 850, the, the prophets of Baal and the prophets of the groves were through those places of false worship. That, for, forgive me, if, if every church has a pastor and every grove had a prophet, that's 450 groves, or forgive me, little false churches. He said, you, the challenge is, you gather them all up. 
And then we see the contest in verses 21 through 24. Elijah proposes a contest here, and he says, "Listen, let, let's just let's just decide who's God, and, and you know we'll, we'll take this bullock and we'll, we'll we'll cut it up. You pick yours, I'll, I'll pick mine, and the God that answers by fire, let him be God." But the call is in verse 21, and that's what I want to focus in on for the rest of my time today. Call is in verse 21. It said, and Elijah came unto all the people and said, How long halt ye between two opinions? If the Lord be God, follow him. And if, but if Baal, follow him. And just to show you, Brother Jackson, how far gone they were, they got locked jaw when he said that. They answered him, not a word. There's another time in the Old Testament where Moses, after he had just communed with God for 40 days and 40 nights, and his, his face shone. And you remember what happened? He came down with the tables of stone. Remember what happened? While he was gone... They had made a golden calf. And, and by the way, that, that, the, the, if you read that, read, read Exodus chapter 32. If you want a definition of stupidity, read what Aaron says. He says, well, they, they gave me all their earrings and, and all of a sudden this calf appeared. And even before that they said, uh, behold the God that led us out of Egypt. You mean the one you just made? after you had already come out of Egypt? And Moses gets some righteous indignation about him. By the way, it's still okay to have a little righteous indignation. I think Jesus had it when he flipped over tables. And Moses, you remember what he did with those first ten commandments? He threw them down. Broke them. You remember, he said, he said, listen, God, God's going to judge right here. And remember what he said in verse 26 of chapter 32? He said, who's on the Lord's side? You better get close to me if you're on the Lord's side, because something's about to happen over there. Think about one of the most staggering verses in the Bible is in Revelation chapter 3, verse 15. Let's go there. You got, Revelation's the last book of the Bible we can find. Now hold your place there in 1 Kings. We're coming back. But Revelation chapter 3, verse 15 is the, the church of the Laodiceans. It's interesting that it is not uh, known by its geography, but it is known by its populace. Like the other churches will say the church in Thyatira, the church at Sardis. This one says the church of the Laodiceans, which means the rule of the people. That's what Laodicea means. <laughs> Look at verse 15. Jesus here is speaking to the pastor and church in Laodicea of the Laodiceans. He says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. And then he says this. This, this absolutely, every time I read this, it, it, it strikes me. I would that thou wert cold or hot. 
actually says, I would rather that you were ice cold than between two opinions. James 1.8 says it this way. Before, in chapter 1, verse 5, he says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. We'll give it to all men liberally and upbraid if not. Meaning, if you ever get to that point where you say, God, I need your wisdom, which is, should be every day. <laughs> God is never upset when you ask for it. Never. Because he's got plenty to share. But then he says this, But let him ask in faith. Nothing wavering. I mean, if you don't believe God can give you wisdom, he's like, what are you doing? You're spinning your wheels. And then in verse 8, he says this. He says, a double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. So going back to our text, here's, here's the challenge today, ladies and gentlemen, and I, I hope it will be a challenge. I hope it will not be caustic. Can we just pick a side? Can we just pick a side? Listen, my, my friend Joe Moran, if you say the word Yankees around him, he might punch you in the mouth. He might. I usually say it a little further away, amen? Like, I hate the Yankees, and then you know, we're friends. Listen, it's, it is high time, ladies and gentlemen, that Christians just decided what side they're on. It is high time that Christians started living without one foot in the world and one foot in the church. You know, you know what happens when you stand in the middle of the road? You get run over by both sides. It is just high time. That's exactly what Elijah said here. He said, hey, how long haunt you between two opinions? If God be God, follow him. And if God be God, then go ahead and follow him. But pick a side, will you? Number one today. Pick a side when it comes to loving God. I think of the, the quote by Casey Stengel. Great, great old manager. He had all these, these quotes. And it has to do with double-mindedness. Brother Wally, he said, he said, when it come, come to managing making this movie, he said, I made up my mind, but I made it up both ways. You can't do that in the Christian life, ladies and gentlemen. You've got to pick a side. Loving God. You know, uh, the, what it says in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 5, it says, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. And then, of course, Jesus quoted that. Can I give you another verse about loving God? Ye that love the Lord hate evil, Psalm 97.10 says. Listen, Christian, it's time to stop patting evil. It's, forgive me, it's time to cancel some of the streaming. It's time to throw away some of those DVDs. It's, it's, it's time to stop petting evil. It's time to start loving God. Like we say we do. I want to tell you something. The church, the state of the church today is most certainly between two opinions and they say that they love God but their works say otherwise. What do they love? They love the world. The things that are in the world. You know what James 4 said about that? If any man loved the world, he's the enemy of God. 
Now, I, I can think of a lot of bad moves in life. I've made a lot of bad moves in my life. But the one thing I don't think is, a, is, is a really a wise move, even close, is to be God's enemy. To claim his name and say, I'm his child, and then live like I'm his enemy. Forgive me, that's old-fashioned dumb right there. You might be crippled too high for crutches if you do that consistently. It's, it, just pick a side. Either love God or don't. That's hard to say, but it's, it's exactly what Elijah is saying here. If, if you truly love God, then follow him. Just, just obey him, do what he says. And I'm moving into my next point here. Number two, obey God. Obey God. Or don't. Most people say, no problem, I just don't. Well, that's a problem. Especially if you say you love him, going back to that first point, because Jesus said this, if you love me, keep my commandments. What he said. John 14, verse 15. Uh, Hebrews 10, 24, 25. I quote this verse all the time, and, and, and I get tired of quoting it. It says, Let us consider one another to provoke unto love and the good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. People will miss church for just about anything. I saw uh, something on Facebook that said, Church ought to be the reason you miss other things. Amen. And, and by the way, obeying God isn't just church. Obeying God, uh, the Bible says that we're to, to preach the gospel to every creature. We're to get out there and share our faith with people. We need to obey God, amen, or don't. But just pick a side, please. Pick a side. You know, while we're not those of us that are saved, those of us that have trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior, we're not, as Ephesians 2.2 calls them, the children of disobedience. We far too often choose to just dis disobey Him and disregard what He says. Again, uh, I think Friday, well, our Bible reading, if you're doing the Bible reading schedule, Friday was Jonah. <laughs> oh, Jonah. Uh, I'm, I'm Jonah so many times in my life. Brother Merkley, I think of Jonah. God said, go this way to Nineveh. What did Jonah do? He went that way to Tarshish. And we're no different. Listen to me. Obedience is God's love language. Obedience is God's love language. What does that mean? You say you love God. That's nice that that comes out of your lip, but your life says a lot more whether you do or don't. Pick a side when it comes to loving God. Pick a side when it comes to obeying God. Pick a side when it comes to knowing God. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. I'm, listen, I, I don't feel like I'm a Bible scholar. I really don't. I, 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 by the way, I'd rather be called a Bible student. Bible scholars many times become Bible correctors. I'd rather just be a Bible student. But, and again, I hope it doesn't come off too harsh, folks, but either read your Bible or don't. I mean, God has a love letter for you. It's not just for the preacher to get up and rant and rave on Sunday. It's, it's, this, is, this is his word to you. His love letter to you. 
You want to know, people say, oh, I feel like I got such small faith. I feel like I don't know anything about God. My first question is always, how much do you read your Bible? If you just read it two minutes a day, and, you know, prayer time is rub-a-dub-dub, thanks for the grub. It's, it's, no, it's no marvel you don't know, know him. Not even know about him, but know him. By the way, there's a difference between knowing about him and knowing him. aside. Do you want to know him or not? You can. You can. You can know him. He wants you to know him. He's revealed himself to you in his word. So, pick a side. Pick a side. Loving God. Obeying God. Knowing God. About pleasing God. Pleasing God. You know, I think each one of us that is saved, each one of us that's a Christian, and I'll get to that at the end. If you're not a Christian here today, I want to encourage you. Really, the ultimate pick aside. But if you're if you're here today and you are a Christian, young person, listen to me. Your life ought to be about pleasing God, not pleasing yourself. It says in 2 Timothy 2.4, No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may uh, please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. I remember hearing the story of a Medal of Honor recipient, and he was, he was a pilot, and he had to eject uh, Brother Howell, and when he ejected, his parachute went, and he got stuck in the trees. And as he was sitting there, uh, dangling in the trees, and the, the North Vietnamese were all around, and he said, you know what I didn't think about? I didn't think about how much money I had in my 401k. I didn't think about whether I closed the windows on that summer house or not. I didn't think about, and just fill in the blank of the things that we think about instead of just thinking about pleasing Him. You know, if you'll just start right there, Lord, as you put your feet on the ground, and maybe, well, you got to put your feet on the ground before you can get the coffee ready, amen, but that ought to probably be next, amen. Somebody said, you know, coffee keeps me from murdering people, so I drink a lot of coffee. Yeah, it's probably true, amen. So if you get the coffee set, why not, even before, as you get ready to, to, to read your Bible, you get ready to, why, why not say, Lord, help me to please you today with my life? And it says in 1 John 3.22 that we may do things that are pleasing in his sight. Or, don't. Do the things that please you, like many have been doing for years, decades after their salvation. And don't have any victory. And don't have any assurance. And don't have any encouragement from the Holy Spirit. Elijah said, look, if God is God, follow him. If Baal is God, follow him. And then they proved that Baal wasn't God. And so we're brought to the amazing and irrevocable conclusion that God is God. 
How many of you, by an amen, would label yourself as one of God's children? Amen? Then serve Him. Then follow Him. Then sell out to Him. I said yesterday as I, I saw the rockets flying in Israel, I said, you know what? Now is the time. Now is not the time to be anything but faithful. It's not the time to be halfway. Not, I mentioned that, that Confederate story of that soldier. There's another illustration. I've used it before about the man who uh, just wasn't sure which side was going to win the war. And so uh, Brother Merkling, he, had, he, he got himself a, uh, uh, a uh, Confederate coat and he was wearing Union pants and he got shot by both armies. I'm telling you, ladies and gentlemen, some of you are shooting yourself with worldliness, and you're shooting yourself with self, and you're shooting yourself with pleasing uh, everybody but God. And I'm telling you what, it's just time to pick a side. Pick a side. Pick a side. Either be on God's side or don't. And I know that, that sounds harsh. Don't, I don't want you to don't. I know sometimes things happen in people's life and I, that, that things come up. And we, by the way, we make a mess of things. And here's the wonderful thing about God. God can take a mess and turn it into a message for somebody else. But ultimately, if you're here and you are not sure you're on your way to heaven, you're not sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior. You're not sure that your sins are forgiven. I want to tell you something. God loves you. And this is how much He loves you. He sent His only begotten Son to be born of a virgin. We'll celebrate that in just a couple months here, Christmas time. To be born of a virgin, to live a perfect sinless life, and to shed his blood on an old rugged cross to pay for your sins and mine. Because the wages of sin is death. The fact is, because we're all sinners, the Bible tells us, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We're all sinners. We all owe the wages of sin. We all owe the payment for sin. And we can either pay for it ourselves, or we can... Pick God's side. I remember 28 years ago when I trusted Jesus Christ as my personal Savior and the pastor said pretty much what I just said. And I remember thinking to myself, that sounds like a good deal to me. That sounds like a why, why would anybody refuse? Why would anybody pick hell, sin, death when they can have heaven, eternal life, and forgiveness? By the way, I still don't know the answer to that first question. Don't know why anybody would choose that. Yeah. You're here today, and you've not trusted Jesus Christ as your Savior. You've got a sin problem. And that is you owe for your sins. So my sins aren't so bad. Didn't say they were so bad. The Bible says, for all of sin and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. That's why Christ died on the cross. He died to pay for your sins and mine. But you've got to accept it. I had somebody recently give me a check with my name on it, Miss Judy. And if I want that amount on that check to go on my account, you know what I got to do? I got to turn it over and I got to sign it. 
If I just keep that check in my pocket, Brother Shane, and just keep it in my pocket and keep it in my pocket, and I literally die, I never got that money. Because there it is. I want to tell you, the gospel is out there for you. It's Jesus Christ died for you, but you've got to accept him yourself. Amen. Ultimately, you've got to pick a side. Are you willing to die in your sin or go to, and go to hell? Or will you say, I'll trust the Savior and get his forgiveness and go to heaven? Pick a side. Amen. Christian, high time to pick a side. High time to just pick a side. It shouldn't be any question as to what side you I are. I could preach this on a myriad and multitude of issues. You know, ladies, how about modesty? Can we just pick a side on that? Can we just pick a side? Worldliness, fellas, you know, just pick a side. You say, hey, I'm, I'm a Christian, I belong to God, but I, I'm trying to, trying to live it all, all up until uh, I can't do that anymore. That is, you are picking your side, and it's the wrong side. Pick a side. If God be God, follow Him. He is God. We should follow Him and all God's people say. Father, we love You. Thank You. Lord,